When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two-step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show here on the internet. This is your host, as always, for Movie Lovers Unite, John DeGorio. And it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do this every single day, talking about movies in front of a virtual water cooler, AR TV shows. And you know what? I want to actually talk about something for one minute. I just want to say a big thank you for all the love and support that you showed me over the years, the five years that I actually had my Facebook page open for my Movie Lovers Unite page. I just want to say a big thank you from the bottom of my heart. You guys are really awesome when it comes down to supporting my page as well as the podcast channel too because I started this podcast channel back in July and it's just been picking up and I'm just so happy and thrilled to actually be able to talk about movies talk about my passions with other people that love movies or tv shows too so there's something I want to talk else that I want to say too is I'm going to be giving away free digital codes for movies one of them is actually going to be an It Chapter 2 digital code. I'm not sure about some of the other ones I want to do yet. But either way it goes, it's going to be where I'm giving back to the fan community on my 100th episode of the podcast. And you guys are actually going to get some free movies out of it. So make sure you check back whenever my 100th episode drops. And I'm going to tell you how you guys can actually get your hands on the digital codes and everything whenever that podcast episode drops. So... With further ado, let's go on ahead and talk about today's topics. I'm going to be talking about the Irishman review. Well, not review, but I'm going to be reviewing the Irishman. Then I'm going to be dropping down to the Birds of Prey and Suicide Squad being rated R. Then I'm going to drop into some other movie news topics as well. But those are the main two that I really want to talk about. And here's the thing. I, wa- I love the idea of Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro, and Al Pacino playing in this mafia movie because it's been a long time since we actually have the original game back again and playing in a classic mafia movie. And you know what I like about this movie is the fact that it, it actually knows what it is. Marcel Stacy does a really good job at setting everything up, knowing that this is a Marcel Stacy movie. If you look at the camera angles, when you first get introduced into this film, the music choices that they actually choose, which is earth angel, the 1950s, 60s music is really great, really catchy. I really love the soundtrack as far as the movie goes. It feels like a Martin Scorsese movie. It looks like a Martin Scorsese movie. Not only that, but it even opens up with a monologue from Robert De Niro talking about the stuff that he's done as a hitman. And he's Frank the Irishman. And not only that, but I love how it also opens up with Joe Pesci and him going on a road trip. And you don't know why they're going on a road trip right right off the bat until they actually mention it in the monologue and about how they met in the monologue, too. But I love the friendship between Russell, which is played by Joe Pitchy, and then you have Robert De Niro, Frank, uh, Frank Sharon, 
And you can tell the friendship is still there. You can still tell that the chemistry between Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro has never died. And that's what I want, was wondering about is if that nostalgia factor is there still. Or if it's just there just for keeps, if it's not there at all. But it's there. Once you see this movie start up, the friendship between them two is really, really good. Not only that, but Russell also doesn't allow his wife or their wives to smoke in the car or anything like that. So they're on this road trip. And as they're on this road trip and everything, they're stopping everywhere and because they can't because his wife's can't smoke. And so once they get to this one spot, there's this flashback scene that I really like about how Russell and Frank both become friends. And that was really a neat moment was whenever Joe Pesci first gets introduced into the film. And you're wondering when he's gonna be popping back up again. But you know, I love how he, they look at this place and they said, hey, you remember that place right there? Just like how friends do sometimes. And they're like, oh, yeah, I remember that place. We used to chill over there sometimes and stuff like that and just kick it or whatever. And that's what I loved about that. You can actually tell the friendship between Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro. And the like I said, you can actually believe that he's actually Russell Buffalino, which is Joe Pesci's character. And then you also have... Robert De Niro playing Frank Sharon, and I'm going to be honest with you, they're really good on screen together, and the age, let me get, let me just be honest about something, when you look at the age special effects, the aging special effects, it's good, but you can actually tell in the movements of, of Robert De Niro, and also too with Joe Pesci, they can't run like they used to, you can definitely tell that age has definitely caught up with them. And you can't cover that up. But it's fun to see them on screen together as far as that goes. And then, too, you also have Stephen Graham from Boardwalk Empire in this movie, too. And I love seeing Stephen Graham on this. I thought he did a really good job as Al Capone. Then you have Bobby Cannaville as Joe Gallo in this movie, too, which he's also from Boardwalk Empire as well. So you have two good cast members from a gangster-related show that was a big hit on HBO. Their stuff is really good. I love the um, part, too, with Al Pacino as Jimmy Hoffa because I like how Robert De Niro is actually trying to be there for his friend and he cares about his friend so much. And then also, too, the stuff with the JFK thing is happening in this movie. There's a lot of history in this movie if you think about it. And it's actually kind of hard to follow with three three hours long footage as well because some people are saying, well... The runtime is too long. I'm used to seeing movies like Casino. I'm used to seeing movies like The Godfather and stuff like that. The runtime for me is not that bad because here's the thing. The good news about Netflix is you can actually pause it rather than sit in the movie theater stuffing your face with popcorn or soda and then you have to go use the bathroom. You're going to miss out on certain key elements of the movie. And with this, you have to actually pay really close attention to this movie. Otherwise, you're going to be lost, especially with all the characters that they actually throw in there too. And then what else I like about it too is when they introduce a certain gangster in this movie, they actually go and tell you how that gangster died, how long he was there, and everything. And I love that aspect because usually we see that at the end of a movie, not at the beginning of a movie. And I like that little aspect to it where you actually get introduced to this character, but you know he's going to wind up dying in the 1970s or any or sooner. And I really like that element that Martin Scorsese did with that part of the film. And then, too, I liked how this thing with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino is actually about 
friendship and about how he wants to be there for his friend, like I mentioned. And I really love that element to it. It's like, he doesn't want to do what Russell... Here's the thing. Al Pacino's a hothead in this movie. He really is a hothead. He's, to me, the the reason why Sonny died in The Godfather was because of his hot-headedness and because of his, the way he cared about his sister, but he took it to the extreme. And his own temper is what, uh, what winded up killing him. And with Al Pacino's character, it's basically the same thing. His own hot-headedness is what got him killed in the first place because he was always filled with anger. He was always a type type B kind of personality to where he would actually act on his emotions before actually thinking things through and that's what messed him up in the long run is because of his mouth and instead of him just letting things go he just let it kept on escalating and to what I liked about the beat between Stephen Graham and his character was the part where they're in this meeting and this is my this makes me think of Ralphie Sufferato sorry if I butchered his name but Ralphie from The Sopranos and Tony Soprano. They're having this meeting and he's supposed to... And here's the thing. Ralphie's supposed to apologize to Johnny for making a joke about Jenny. And even though he said he didn't say it, but we know that he said it. And he's in this meeting and Johnny definitely does not want Ralphie there. But he's there anyways. And he's trying to apologize to him and everything. And there's that tension that's there. And that's the same type of tension that I felt coming off of Al Pacino and Stephen Graham's character. And the reason why I said that is because Stephen Graham comes into this meeting 15 minutes late. And you can definitely tell Al Pacino does not like the fact that he's that he's there and everything. He doesn't want anything to do with him. But he needs him in a way to make a deal. And then Stephen Graham also needs... Jimmy there too to make a deal for him and here's the thing Jimmy's character was 15 minutes late everybody knows that that you don't do that to somebody in the mob you don't be late for a meeting that you're supposed to be there for at a certain time as it shows disrespect it says pretty much f you I'm gonna go on ahead and do this my way you're not gonna tell me what to do but anyways he shows up 15 minutes late there's this whole entire argument where like this five minute argument where it goes, well, you were there. I, I was on time. You were 15 minutes late. And what the fuck are you looking This is what, this is exactly what Al Pacino said. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck are you wearing? And he's wearing this Hawaiian shirt with these shorts. He's dressed like he's from in Florida because that's where they're at. But Al Pacino's wearing his suit. He's wearing a nice button down suit and everything like he, like the mob actually does for meetings and stuff like that and here he comes for 15 minutes late showing disrespect towards him also too with the way he was looking too is also showing disrespect towards Al Pacino's character and Al Pacino's just going off on him and then Rob De Niro's character Frank is like well let's go on ahead let's cut this in the middle he was about 10 minutes late or 12 minutes late because of traffic so he goes okay because of traffic so then next thing you know, it they get into this beef and everything, and then just just escalates from there. I'm not going to tell you what else happens in that meeting part, but I thought that was actually pretty neat about how they actually capture that moment of where you can actually feel the tension in that one area in that one room, and I really love that scene a lot. And not only that, but let me just tell you this: the camera angles that Marcel Cesi uses for each scene is just fantastic. Like. 
if you see the scene, the scene where they're actually pushing taxi cabs into the water, they're just not focusing on just one taxi cab. They're showing you the whole entire lot of taxi cabs. And that's what I like. I like how they use the environment as part of the whole entire scene. Versus how they did in that one movie I was talking about with the kitchen. and Because here's the thing. You see two women talking on the sidewalk. And that's all you get. You don't get the whole entire expansion of the sidewalk. You just see two people talking on a sidewalk. With this, you actually see a big, huge scene where... They're actually pushing, pushing taxi cabs into the water, into the ocean. And you actually get to know what they're actually doing besides just focusing on just one taxi cab. Because if you're just focusing on one, ta- one or two or three ta- taxi cabs, you're like, really? This is what the beef is all about? But no, they show the whole entire lineup. And I love that aspect. It brings you into, into the movie and lets you experience the movie as if you're there. And that's what I like about it. And then too. Like you can. Like I said. This thing has a lot of history with it. Some scenes may seem like they drag on. But there's a point for the movie. To actually have those certain scenes in it. Because if you, we didn't have certain scenes in it. We wouldn't know. What was going on or anything like that. And I thought the scenes that they needed. To expand on is actually why we even wanted to see this movie was because of the fact that it is another mafia related movie and I think that the scenes actually add something to it because you can't have this one thing going on and then cut to something else and then it winds up being confusing and becomes very let me think here it's very cutthroat it's not very cutthroat it becomes very choppy and I'm glad that they didn't edit anything out like that because you don't want to have this film being too choppy or anything like that. You want to be able to expand on your scenes. You want to be able to show the emotion, show the rage of what Jimmy Hoffa is. And also showing the friendship between Robert De Niro and Jimmy. And also, too, the tension. This is also dealing with the family, too. Um, Robert De Niro's family and about his kids and about Jimmy's family and stuff like that, too. And about... The stuff that goes on in the mob and the attention, and also too, how people are, well, how his family is actually straying away from him because of the things he's doing. And they, and the thing is, they actually know that he's doing these things. So you know, that's what I liked about it was it shows both sides. It shows the family of the mob. Then it shows the family of Robert De Niro and Jimmy Hoffa's family, and it shows what that family is going through. And they don't... I mean, here's the thing. They don't actually make it just about them. They actually know how to actually make these scenes work to where they can actually cut to something else and it still is feels like a whole, full movie. Where I've seen where movies are... where some mob movies are... where, okay, we're just going to focus on the family now and that's it and that's the only thing that we're going to show is just the mob family. We're not going to show the aspects of the actual family in itself with the kids or anything like that. We're just going to focus right here because that's our main focus. But no, they know how to make that division to where it actually works and where it actually flows well. And I really like this movie a lot. There might be some aspects, like I said before, where you actually see where age has a lot to do with the fact that they may have waited too long because of the, because if Robert De Niro is running, you can actually tell that's an 80 year old man running away from the cops. 
because he doesn't have that high step like he used to. So there's that. But tell me what you guys think. Did you like The Irishman? What didn't you like about The Irishman? I want to know. I'm kind of curious about what you guys have to say about that. And then I want to talk about this too. Like I mentioned before, Joe Pesci has been working on his music career. And he came out with this jazz album. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not a big jazz fan. But some of the stuff actually sounds like a Tony Bennett album. And I really like that old school flavored Tony Bennett kind of style and Frank Sinatra kind of style. Because we haven't had that in a while unless you look at like a Michael Buble or something like that. But it has that classic feel to it. It actually feels like a mob type of CD. As a matter of fact, there's one song called Baby Girl, which to me would actually be good with the Coco Cabana type of thing. Because it feels like... It could be played in a Florida or a Columbia in this nightclub or something because of the way that the music actually is and the way that it actually fits in with what Joe is doing. But it's not, here's the thing, that's not a soundtrack to Irishman or anything like that. It's just me saying I really enjoyed what Joe Pesci did with his jazz type album. Even though I don't listen to jazz, I'm more of a heavy metal rock kind of person with a little bit of rap on the side. But... Joe Pesci is a really good, talented person when it comes down to his singing and his lyricism and stuff like that with his CD. So if you haven't checked out Joe Pesci's album, I recommend that you guys check that out. As a matter of fact, the name of this album is called Still Singing, and it's actually on Apple iTunes. It's every, available everywhere. And check it out if, you, if you're into jazz. If you're not into jazz, let me know. I'd like to actually know what you guys think about that CD, because I think it's actually a pretty good album. He did come up with an, a rap album that bombed back in the 90s, and that thing was horrible. But this was actually pretty good. It's an easy listen to album that you can ride into the ride in the car and everything and just tune everything out. Or if you can't sleep and you want to put on a little jazz album and go to sleep with, that's actually a pretty good, good album to actually go to sleep with. So now I'm going to talk about Birds of Prey and Suicide Squad. Being rated R. Now, we've been knowing that they've been trying to change the tone of these DC movies. And I get the fact that Joker worked for what it was. But here's the thing. That was what was suitable for his character and everything because of how dark he is and stuff like that. And yes, there is a lot of dark characters within the DC universe, especially when you're looking at the Batman universe. My main thing that I'm kind of concerned with with Rated R, with it being Rated R, is is it Rated R for the sake of it being Rated R, or is it Rated R because of the fact that we're dealing with these characters and because they're going to give us a wide range of different emotions that we haven't seen before in a, versus a PG-13 movie? Is this going to be something that that is just going to be there just for the sake of being Rated R? Same thing with Suicide Squad as well. I'm kind of weary about how they're handling the whole Rated R process because here's the thing. The reason why Logan was successful and Deadpool was successful and the Joker was successful was because it that was what those characters were. That's what those characters represented. And for them to make a rented R movie just for the sake of being rated R, I just don't want to see something like that. I'd rather it I'd rather it be rated R because of the fact of the characters, the developments of the character, the layers that they're gonna give them. And also, too, of the violence as well. Because I don't want violence for the sake of having violence. I want violence there for for a reason. Just like the John Wick stuff. When you see something happening with the John Wick movies, 
there's a purpose for the violence to actually take place. And for violence just to have a key element in there just for the sake of having violence in it, it doesn't make it a good movie. Same thing with movies just ma- making a movie just for rated R purposes. I never understood that. Just like gore, gore as well. I don't like the fact, I don't like horror movies where it has like a lot of gore just for the sake of having gore. But it's if it's there to serve a purpose, there to serve a certain scene, I'm all for it. Same thing with violence too. When you're looking at shootings and stuff like that. As long as it serves the purpose of that character or what the plot is, I'm fine with it and everything. But if it's just there just to be there, I don't have any need for it. And it doesn't make the movie interesting at all. It just makes it loud. It makes it look like it's filler just for something for to fit in with the budget. But that's just how I'm looking at it. But that's just how I feel. I mean, I just want this. I want these DC movies to succeed. I want them to be different. I want them to be great. And, you know, I never found that the tone of the movie was the problem with these DC movies. It was always the direction that they were going in that was the problem. And that's why we didn't have that many successful movies with the DC universe compared to what Marvel is doing. But I believe that we're actually on the right track now. Because look at what they did with Shazam. Look what they did with Aquaman and Wonder Woman. You're three for three. And I mentioned this before in my podcast before. But they're three for three. If they knock it out with Suicide Squad, and they knock it out with, uh, with Birds of Prey, and then they go from there, they're going to be 5 for 5 with their whole entire universe. Well, if you even think about the Joker as well, but that's a, even a separate universe from the DCU universe, they've been knock- they're knocking out, out of the park pretty well as far as things go now. I think they're actually on the right track, and I really am excited about about the this bird is a prey movie i'm excited about suicide squad 2 just to see what james gunn is going to do differently than what we got from like the last direction that we got with the suicide squad movie the very first one but we're just gonna have to wait and see but that's just how i'm looking at the whole entire red art thing and stuff like that too another thing too i want to mention is this um, last week it was actually mentioned that Albert Hughes will actually direct the Fugitive remake. And here's the thing. The Fugitive was already a remake before the 1990s movie with Tommy Lee Jones and also, um, Harrison Ford. And I don't really feel the need for them to actually want to make another Fugitive movie. I mean, we already seen it before. We all already seen him drunk, jump out of a drain, one of those sewer, sewers already and stuff like that. I really don't want another rehash of the 1990s movie at all. I really don't see what the point is of actually them making another Fugitive movie. But that's just how I see it. I mean, I'm not a big fan of certain remakes, especially if they're just the same rehash of something that we've already seen. Now, if they did something totally different that actually makes me a little bit more excited for it, yeah, I'm all for that. But considering the fact that that they're doing it like that, I'm not I'm not gonna be excited. I'm not excited for another uh I'm actually not excited for another fugitive movie. But anyways, um one of my fans and I wanted to say this. I'm sorry for not answering your question. It's just that I didn't get the notification until after the podcast. So I'm answering that now. Daniel Spencer actually asked, why in every Native movie do we need a white savior? Now, here's the thing. I understand what you're saying. You want to be able to see 
someone that's like a T'Challa from your from your from being with a native being Native American, you want to see something like that transition to on the screen. And I totally understand that. I I totally understand where you're coming from because you want to be able to have that same feeling as watching a Black Panther movie to where you can actually cheer on your hero rather than cheer on a white person saving somebody else from that's actually Native American. I totally get that. I totally understand where you're coming from. And it's all about Hollywood. It's all about this whole entire racism thing that we're actually get, getting into. And matter of fact, you know, I did a report about Julia Roberts, about the studios wanted her to play Harriet Tubman. And that was a big mistake from the studios. And it's just the whole point of the fact that Hollywood is racist when it comes to certain things. That's no no two ways about it. And there are improving on some things and some things they're not. I feel like they need to go on ahead and be a lot more uh, more expansive whenever it comes down to casting certain actors and stuff like that too. Because I feel like, you know, they can cast other people besides white people whenever you're doing an Indian, Native American type movie or anything like that. I think that they should have at least considered casting someone that's a Native American if you're going to do a Native American type movie. Instead of having a white person save them, they want to actually have that hero to, to actually cheer on as well. And like I said, there's some things that Hollywood is improving on, but it's going to take us a while to get there to that point to where they're not whitewashing anymore, to where we actually have some color of a different color of skin to be on the, on the movies. As a matter of fact, I didn't like the fact that they were painting other actors to look like they're Arabians, Ara- Arabic, and everything whenever they were doing the uh, Aladdin, live-action Aladdin movie. I didn't like that. I mean, you can't find anyone else to, to be extras on to be part of that. I just never understood that. But anyways, that's pretty much all that I have to say for today's podcast. I hope that you guys enjoyed my Irishman review. I hope that you guys enjoyed wait, what I had to say. And as always, until next time, bye-bye.